Hello, Internet. My name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to it's not a surprise edition of the Final Cut podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, but at the end of the uh, previous episode, I had teased a little something, a certain direction that we were going to go with today's episode. Uh, and then a freight train fucking hit me. <laughs> and I decided I needed to change the movie that we were going to talk about to the one that we're talking about today that you see in the title already. I don't know why I continue this game of, you know, pretending that you don't know what we're talking about. Um, it is a movie that the moment I got out of it, I saw it on a Tuesday afternoon while my partner was getting a tattoo done because I don't like needles and I didn't really want to sit there and watch. So I flipped a coin between whether I would see Thor, Love and Thunder or today's movie. It landed on today's movie, and the moment I got out of the theater, I texted my podcast co-host here and said, what if I told you there was a movie where Michael Shannon is playing a Russian samurai Yakuza boss? And Chase said, is that a, is that a final cut pitch? Because it sounds like a final cut pitch. <laughs> and Chase Wassener, you went with that pitch, and today we're talking about Bullet Train. How are you feeling today, buddy? I'm feeling pretty good, man. Like, look, when someone messages me and saying, hey, I've got a comedic John Wick-style film with Michael Shannon as a Russian samurai Yakuza boss, you have both my curiosity and my attention. You know, this is one of those films uh, I, I hadn't heard a ton of before you mentioned it to me. Um, I found out that it was a little bit more uh, controversial among critics after having watched it myself. Um, but it's it's the kind of concept that inherently, I think, is a ton of fun. And I'm excited to talk about it with you today, because I think there are some things this film does really, really well, and there are some things this film does that I, I have some questions, um, as is my want, as is my role of the two of us on this show. I, I've realized listening back, I have I have become the the Grinch, and I'm going to be less Grinchy than I think I have been recently. Um, but this is uh, it, it, it's a fun one to talk about, to be sure. Well, I think you having that role is actually going to be very important for this film. And I will say, Chase, you are not the Grinch of this podcast. Are you a little bit more uh, more analytical because of your, you know, English background of analyzing things than I am? Absolutely. But that's always been the case between the two of us. I've been the, the feelings guy, and then you've cut my feelings up with a samurai sword with <laughs> cold, hard analytics. And to be fair, I think I need that cold, calculated scalpel today because right off the bat, of all of the movies that we have watched... Only Everything Everywhere All at Once is above this in my list. I fucking loved this movie. I was so excited when I came out of it. I spent uh, my my uh, sister and her partner up here on a, on a week vacation, and I spent probably 20 minutes talking about this movie with her partner, who saw it in 4D with the, the it's this new thing where they now have like pneumatics in the seats and you know as the train is going you're you know you have the haptic feedback and all that jazz and it was a blast to talk about it uh but chase you said you didn't know a lot about the movie going into it besides michael shannon being a russian samurai yakuza boss which again is the coolest fucking thing in the world what were kind of your expectations going into this you know going in i 
I mean, it it seemed like from everything that I was hearing, it was a very like high energy action film, good set piece with a bullet train. I think anytime you have that kind of like condensed space that you have to make the most out of, um, it, it creates for some really interesting and really well done set pieces. And so you've got the clear action set piece here. The stakes are very clear. The cast is a star studded, uh, you know, so many, uh, talented people here uh brad pitt obviously getting the uh most name recognition uh though also i will say the one i was probably less excited about than most given all of the stories that have circulated around brad pitt recently uh but hey uh someone can be an asshole and very talented and i think brad pitt fits in that category so you know i i went in thinking this was going to be a fun time i i did not expect this to be the height of cinema and it was not the height of cinema there are some flaws with this film i think but if the goal of the film is to have an action movie in which we see a whole bunch of shenanigans happening on a bullet train and everyone gets to laugh and have a good time which i do believe was the objective of this film then mission accomplished it did what needed to be done and I I had fun with it, man. I really did. This is a fun film. I would say, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing trailers for this at maybe as far back as I think it was No Time to Die or, or one of those superhero movies that I had gone to see. And, and the initial moments of it, uh, just from the trailers, were like, okay, this, this is interesting. This is really interesting. And I thought going into it, Brad Pitt's character was like just a delivery guy i didn't realize that they were doing this entire john wick hotel artemis style of like yeah there's like an assassin guild that exists and they do all these missions and and ultimately like all these people all get like contracts from the same people um so i was i was a bit you know my my expectations were a bit subverted there because they're like oh yeah like no he's he's been in the game it's just like he's been you know recuperating from injuries mental anguish like whatever and like this is his first job back uh and like anytime someone does the like it's my first job back i'm two days until retirement like anytime that happens you know everything is going to go to shit should have grabbed the gun should have grabbed the gun grab the gun should have grabbed the gun but you know what i respect an assassin who's like, I don't fucking use guns. Like, no, I'm, I'm past that. And the entire, like, psychological, like, I've been seeing a therapist, anger management, <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to be one with myself is so fucking brilliant because normally that trope is usually, in an ensemble piece like this, is usually one of the, it's, it's not the main character. It's usually, like, the two guys that, like, work together. One of them is, like, peace, love, and happiness. And the other guy is, like, I'm going to fucking kill everyone. Um, I'm reminded just, like, off the top of my head of, like, Kasami and Itachi from Naruto Shippuden. Like, Kasame is like, I want to murder everyone, and Itachi's like, bro, like, relax, chill out. And it's funny because then you have that that duo, that pairing of Tangerine and Lemon, uh, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry, where, like, Lemon very obviously could have been that guy. He very easily could have been like, but, yo, calm down, bro, like, relax, chill, and... They kind of do that, but he's obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> let me re- let me rewind everything and give you all a brief plot synopsis. So Brad Pitt's character, Ladybug, 
has been tasked with retrieving a suitcase, a briefcase, from the bullet train and then getting off the train with it and delivering it to someone. And then you have this cast of characters that are then involved with the rest of it. There's, you know, there's Tangerine and Lemon. They're involved with trying to return uh, the famous Yakuza boss, White Death, who, hey, that's the Michael Shannon character, his son to him, but then his son is murdered, and then that briefcase is full of money that was White Death's money, so they had to bring the briefcase back. And then there's this other plot where there's a father whose son got pushed off a building and his father, you can tell, is like some kind of Yakuza boss. And he's like, you know, why weren't you there for your son? And just just all of these interwoven plot points all over the map. And just they start tying each other together and you start getting all those little points in the spider web of interconnection. And you're like, oh, oh, oh. This is a movie that is going to reward you on your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth watch through. As you know where it's going, you can start picking up on all the little hints and all the little pieces. And it flashes back over the course of the movie to points prior to being on the bullet train and even moments on the bullet train that you're seeing just from a different camera angle to show you those threads and to let you then pick apart at them. Uh, Chase, what did you think about the stylization of the movie? Because that is these these flashbacks are really really important to the story that they're telling. Yeah, so I'm I, I think that this film does a really good job of setting its themes. Right, this is a a movie ultimately about fate and how these seeming coincidences all come together to create the uh, experience that we call life. You know, all of these assassins seemingly uh here for a variety of different reasons with a variety of different motivations none of whom know that the others are on the train when the train kicks off but are all connected because of some shared event that they had involving the white death's now deceased wife um with the exception of ladybug who is of course here as a replacement for uh carver and an assassin that was meant to take this particular job and who we are told throughout the movie is a real piece of shit. Um, and so there's this really interesting kind of sequence of flashbacks throughout where we get to understand not only the character uh, and like where they come from, what their personality is and, and what they uh, tend to specialize in, but also how these events connect to each other. You know, we get the the job down in Mexico in which uh, both our protagonist, uh, Ladybug, uh, but also the Hornet, which is an assassin that specializes in poisons, were both there at the event. Um, purely by coincidence, different jobs that they had, but the result of them was for uh, essentially the death of everyone who was there, which hurts both the White Death and Bad Bunny's character in this, the wolf, who I'm going to argue, by the way, we should have had more time with the wolf. I'm sure Bad Bunny was very busy. I'm sure he had a lot going on. I really like that character. Really wish they didn't just kind of introduce him and then throw him to the wayside quite so quickly. But hey, um, but all of these different characters, the more you see these scenes, the more you're able to put together this idea of a, a cohesive world in which these people are connected through these past events. And honestly, I'm going to say this for any uh, screenwriters out there who might be listening to this. 
the great way to get around the need for your script to be convenient, to get a lot of pieces to fall exactly where you want it to, is to make your story about fate, right? How is it possible that all of these people came together at this exact moment in this exact way? Well... Fate had them all connected through this one singular incident that they're not even aware of until the final pieces are put together and explained to them what this connection truly was. And because it's fate, it's like, well, okay, yeah, that's not a a plot hole or a plot contrivance at all. Fate is a a force of of nature, and that's just how this works. Um, And so it it works out. It's, it's, I, I will say... Where I differ with you a little bit on this is the idea that the film is built to reward multiple rewatches because that would imply that the film was willing to lead certain details to be subtle or kind of let them slide as, as pieces you could reconnect down the line rather than beating you over the head with a fucking hammer every time they wanted you to recognize one of these connection points. I, 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 this was my biggest pet peeve throughout the film, and I'll knock it out of the way early because I have a lot of positive things to say about it. This film thinks you are a fucking idiot. You, viewer watching this film, they think you are dumb. And I know they think you're dumb because they showed you that fucking snake on the plane eight goddamn times before the snake was relevant to the thing. They did not trust you to remember that the snake that had been foreshadowed so many times throughout the film was still around and a factor in the film's plot. And it's not the only time in which they do that, in which they foreshadow the same thing over and over and over again, but they do not trust you to follow along with this story, and so they absolutely hold your hand and make sure you don't miss a goddamn thing. And I'll be honest, I did find it a little bit insulting. I get it. I understand that the average person maybe isn't as, you know, there's a media literacy thing where you can can criticize certain elements or you can say that maybe if you don't make it obvious, people will miss it. I don't think any audience is quite as stupid as this film thinks its audience is at several points throughout. And as the film goes on, as these things have been established... The fact that we keep halting the momentum of these scenes in order to go back and reestablish things that I got the first time it was unfortunate. I do think it limited this film's potential because we just kept kept circling back to a thing that's like, I, I get it. I swear to you, I got it. We can move forward. Um, but, you know, it, it's about the style, right? More than anything. And I think that uh, if you're someone that likes... Tarantino style flashbacks but don't want to watch a Tarantino film which you know I get it um I think there's certainly some things to be gained from that from a visual perspective from a stylistic perspective I just man they think you're dumb they really really think you're stupid uh so I don't know I don't I don't think there was anything that you missed that you need to go back a second time for because that film was terrified that you might miss something Well, here's the thing, Chase. I'll be the one to say, yeah, I think most of the viewing public are that fucking stupid. I think that sometimes they do need to have their hands held and and are led on that journey and are given a big neon sign that says, hey, this plot device is really fucking important. And I respect that. 
I respect that a director is like, I don't want people to miss these very important parts because they don't want someone coming out of the theater and being like, well, where the fuck did the snake come from? Like, what, what the hell? Like, I can, I can understand that. I do think there are some moments where, like, I think about, um, and guys, you know, it's spoilers. I'll say here we are, you know, 16 and a half minutes into the episode. I'm sorry if we spoil some things. I will try not to give away the entire plot. But I think the moment where Lemon gets shot and then it turns out he was wearing a bulletproof vest. I go, well, now I want to go back to when he's having the conversation with Tangerine. And is there, is there a hint there? That he's going to put on the bulletproof vest. Oh, he Is says he's wearing it. It's, it comes up in that conversation. He straight up says, yeah, I always wear it. Are you kidding me? You're not going to protect your chest? It's a whole, they have a back and forth moment on it. I thought he wasn't wearing it. And that's why, well, then I, then I miss, miss listen to that scene. Something I am <laughs> want to do when I'm so <laughs> enraptured by what I am viewing on my screen. But something like that, where it is, you know, this tiny little detail later on does something impact it earlier does uh does hornet do anything earlier in the film and i won't say how she's hidden on the train but does she do anything when she's on screen hidden that like tips hey maybe this person is an assassin in disguise things like that that sure you have the brunt force trauma of like here's the fucking snake or hey the briefcase has a train on it Hmm, I wonder which characters were carrying the briefcase to start. It can't be the guy that's obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine, right? And then, you know, they tell you, yeah, exactly, like, you know, nail on the head. But then where are the little things that hint at what their ultimate goals are? Are there any hints earlier on in the movie that show what uh, the prince, Joey King's character, what ultimately her goal is, what she actually wants to do prior to her then just saying it, you know, exposition dump of, of, of what her goal is to Kimura. And, oh shit, maybe you're right, Chase. But <laughs> I will say, I'm actually really glad that you brought up Tarantino because I would like to say that this director, uh, David Lech, He's directed, he's directed Bullet Train. He's directed Hobbs and Shaw. Uh-huh. He's directed Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde, and the original John Wick. Yeah, I can see the influence in this movie from all of those other movies. It almost seems like he's kind of found his little niche and that he, he wants to stick with that. And I think part of that is, you know, the, the Tarantino effect... Um, it is. It's a Tarantino movie with less uh, less blood, less guts, and less uh, abuse of women. Um, I definitely had some, like, Kill Bill vibes going throughout it, or, or uh, the flashback moments really kind of gave me Hateful Eight-type vibes, using that sort of it as a style. Um, getting to the cast. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned Bad Bunny, and... I think there's a reason they didn't give him more time as someone who kind of watched him as he was doing some of his WWE stuff. Um, he has limited English skills. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a reason that they probably didn't give him more film time. But that being said, I would absolutely watch a movie about the wolf and about his story and, you know, all that jazz. So, so David, if you're listening, go fucking write that script, please. And I don't care if the entire thing is in Spanish to make it work. I'll fucking watch that movie. Yeah. Were there any other characters that 
that specifically stood out to you that you were drawn to anything like that first of all on the the spanish point i just have to point out that this is a film that uses subtitles when characters speak in japanese to each other the very opening of the film I don't know. I, I think the problem was that Bad Bunny has a lot going on because he's one of the most popular pop stars on the planet and probably didn't have a lot of time for filming. I'm going to take a guess that that was probably the bigger problem with Bad Bunny on this film. Also fair. But uh, as far as the cast, I mean, you know, it, going down the list, Brad Pitt as Ladybug, I think it's a uh, well done character. Uh, you know, his character really plays off of the idea of the old Chinese uh, parable on the farmer. Uh, you know, the the idea that, um, you know, is something good luck or is it bad luck? Who's to say? Um, obviously, if you were to ask Ladybug, he says he has bad luck. Uh, it's uh, Everything goes wrong. But there are so many points in which as things are going terribly, something happens that is indeed incredibly lucky for him. Uh, so, quick recap of the Chinese parable for those of you who don't know. Chinese farmer's got a horse. The horse runs away, and everyone's like, oh man, you had such terrible luck. I'm so sorry. And the farmer goes, bad luck, good luck, who knows? A week later, horse returns with a herd of wild horses, which now belong to the old man. He's made so much money, and everyone's like, congrats on your good luck. He says, good luck, bad luck, who knows? Then, the son's riding one of the wild horses, falls off, breaks his leg. It's like, oh, what terrible luck. Your son's hurt. He's like, bad, bad luck, good luck, who knows? And then the next day, the army comes to the village and took all of the strong young men to be soldiers for the emperor. But because the farmer's son was spared, uh, or because the son had a broken leg, he was spared. Everyone's like, well, what good luck? Good luck, bad luck, who knows? It's a great parable. It's one of my favorites, um, this idea that you know, these interlacing pieces are complicated and you never quite know how they're going to play out. Uh, it's a good reminder to not overreact in the moment and to look at things that happen to you as opportunities because you never know what's going to uh, stem from it. There are consequences beyond what we are capable of seeing in the moment. And Brad Pitt's character allows us to explore that theory very well. Um, we're constantly getting the shift between good luck and bad luck for his character culminating and obviously things working out well for him so uh clearly good luck won the day um joey king as the prince is a fun concept the idea of the uh very scary character actually not being all that scary in hindsight uh or, or not appearing scary i should say um kind of the deceptively uh scary if you will uh being able to constantly act as like oh i'm just this innocent squirrel girl and everyone's manipulating me um while only having our uh, our boy Lemon, the uh, man with a love of Thomas the Tank Engine. Motif that's very silly, but well done throughout, very well executed. Uh, hits to some core themes about how we analyze and connect to people, which is what that show is about. So to see that repurposed here, I think is actually really quite clever. Um, but, you know, I, I think the prince beyond her function in that, I, I can't say that it was like, the most engaging to me. Tangerine and Lemon were fun. They had a good back and forth. I, I think uh, there are some moments with them where uh, they kind of get uh, lost in the back and forth a little bit. There are some things in general about this film I think could have been tighter. But they have some very clear chemistry. You can tell the affection they have for each other when each of them... Um, it, I, I know you mentioned spoilers earlier. We don't usually worry about that kind of thing. So 
I'm just going to say it. Uh, when each of them uh, f- feels like the other one has died, either one, uh, one of which actually has passed away, but when they both believe that the other one has died, there are some really tangible, heartfelt moments there because they've earned this connection to each other. They are the bickering brothers who have always been there for each other. Um, and I think that goes very well. Uh, Yuchi Kimura, as the father, I think, does what he needs to do. Uh, he sets up his dad to come in later, and his dad gets to steal the show for a bit um, and really emphasize some of those same like luck themes that we talked about earlier. So I, I think that as a setup for that, it works out very well. Though honestly, I think he's kind of shortchanged a bit, despite being the first character we run into and kind of get the least about his actual role within things. Um, the Hornet's fun... I wish we got more with her, but she's kind of relegated as a punchline and as a plot contrivance to uh, allow us to um, get around some potential dangers. Um, So, you know, it's fine. I wish she had more time so we could see what she was actually up to. But, you know, it's... And then, of course, we have uh, Michael Shannon as the White Death, who does a great job of being very intimidating throughout does a great job of playing off of this idea of fate and the dangers of things being out of your own hands and the insecurities that stem from that um, and allowing that to turn you into a monster, really, at the end of the day. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, of talented people doing interesting things here. I think some of it works a little bit better than others, but all of it comes together to create a cast that feels fleshed out and like there's always something to latch on to, which for an ensemble movie like this is what you absolutely need to do. I, I do have a couple like character specific questions that I wanna I wanna like touch on real quick before I kind of you know go whole hog on the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Ladybug was too dumb? Do you think that maybe they overplayed the like holy shit, like, what the fuck is going on here too much to the point where there were at times it almost felt like an act and that Ladybug was really this, like, ruthless, you know, like, maybe he would have been, you know, White Death at some point. Like, that, that do you really think, like, it was overplayed at all or do you think it, it really kind of nestled in in a really good spot because of the fate versus luck discussion? I think it worked. I, I think that, you know, it's one of those things like, should he have probably been able to have a little bit more situational awareness because he's supposed to be a seasoned mercenary? Like, he's been out of the field for a bit, but he's meant to be someone who's done this for a while? Probably. But it, it feels much more in that kind of like, you know, I live in Los Angeles. I know the kind of people who talk this way, um, for whom everything is framed in these very, like, therapeutic terms and is very kind of like, you know, a, a chilled out, taking things as they come kind of character. Like, I, I think it works for what it's trying to be. Um, I think that in general, you can ask yourself the question of uh, whether or not certain elements of characters are a little bit sillier than they need to be. Um, but I think we'll get to that in a little bit. As far as Ladybug in specific goes... I, I I thought the character worked well for exactly what it was trying to be. And it works because Ladybug isn't that much more of a protagonist than any of the other characters on that train. 
Like, we do get more of Ladybug than most other characters because it's Brad Pitt, so of course we do. But there's enough bouncing around with these other characters that you can understand the chaos of the scene that he is trying to take in. And um, I, I, I think it, it, it works more than it doesn't. Total, totally reasonable. Totally fair. I, I would say the situational awareness, the lack of it at times, was a little like, bro, like, come on. Like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and, and my other question here is, was there any moment where you thought that, that the prince, Joey King character was going to be the ultimate mastermind of all of this. And that, sure, maybe the White Death appeared, but it was going to be like a Cats Don't Dance kind of vibe where, you know, White Death is just the muscle at this point and the prince is actually, you know, the the brains behind everything. Or, or was that just not something you even considered? I mean, it was either that or exactly what she was, right? Like, either, given, given that she is one of, you know, there aren't, well... I guess that's not true. I was going to say, not a lot of uh, white characters that could fit that role, but we do have multiple British assassins. So um, it, w- it was clear, I think, to me that she had to be related to the right death in some way. Uh, she had too much information about how he operated and certain things about his tendencies uh, for that to not come up. So the question was whether she was directly working as an agent of the white death or whether she wanted revenge against the white death it turned out to be the latter rather than the former i think there's a version of the script in which it is the former rather than the latter like i there's uh it it could have worked that way and she certainly has this kind of mastermindy element to it but honestly the turn that they give is so much better because it reflects just a complete lack of understanding on her end of her father's real intentions you know there's this idea in her mind that she is being disrespected that she is being ignored that her accomplishments are not being given the credit that they deserve but the reason that she's not invited on that train and she's not invited into that world of his is because he doesn't want her dead the way he wants everyone else on that train dead because she didn't wrong him the way that, say, his son did, or that these other assassins that are on the the train did. So it it works out really well, I think, for the story that they're trying to tell, that she is ultimately a character who manages to feel disrespected and uh, unappreciated by the simple matter of being too competent for her dad to want to lure into this trap, Um, which, of course leads to things being tragic when she's unable to get over that element and uh, at the very end uh, goes for a last stand that was never going to work. Um, So yeah, there's a, you know, I I think it's a cool character as a concept. I I think that there are times in which I would have liked a little bit more from her performance, but um, I, I think the role that she played in the film, the utility there, is the best way to make the story that they were trying to tell work. And, and all props to, to Joey King because she does such an excellent job of portraying both the, you know, the, the innocent, uh, 
you know, out of her depth schoolgirl that's just, you know, stu- when, when she runs into Ladybug and is like, help me, help me, help me. Like, it, it's just so well done. And then just like casually early on telling, you know, Kimaru, oh, yeah, I pushed your son off of the building to bring you here. And there is such a like, there is such a, a absence of emotion. It's serial killer-esque. And then she just kind of, like, smiles about it. And it's just like, that was fun. And again, in, like, a very, like, schoolgirl, childish kind of way. Uh, that ultimately when she does, you know, she attempts to kill her, uh, to kill the White Death. And then when she then tries to have her final stand and is throwing the temper tantrum. Uh, and then ultimately is is maybe killed, but is run over. Uh, there, There's such a depth of acting performance, even if maybe there's some misalignment of the character in and of itself. And I would say that across the board, I think that you could say that for pretty much every character, that every character was very, very, very well written um, with the absence of maybe just a couple of the, the characters. But there was a little something that was like, ah, you know, I wish maybe this tiny little thing was done a little bit differently. Um, that to me is more of a, it would just make this amazing, delicious meal that I just had, you know, this, this Michelin quality, you know, 12 course meal. Like, it's me complaining of like, well, you know what, I wish maybe instead of a Pinot Noir, they gave me, uh, you know, something else, you know, like, ah, it's, I, I, I'm nitpicking on that. And again, I you know started out earlier saying this is my favorite movie that we've done over the course of this nearly year-long podcast outside of everything, everywhere, all at once. You have to start nitpicking when you get to that level of quality, you know, in, in my personal opinion. Uh, Chase, my, my last question kind of about the ensemble as a whole uh, before we, we talk about the ending, because the ending sequence of this movie is, is pretty fun. Who had the best sort of unassuming bit part was it sandra bullock coming out as the handler for ladybug was it ryan reynolds appearing for literally five seconds to be that jackass carver or was it channing tatum playing a beloved himbo on the train i mean channing tatum down for it to be a sex thing rather than what he was asked to do uh, I, I across the board, very fun. I, I got to give it to Channing Tatum. I mean, you know, Sandra Bullock did what she needed to do. We got enough of her through like some of the uh, back and forth to to where that wasn't like a reveal the same way that like, oh, Channing Tatum's here was a revealer. Oh, of course, Ryan Reynolds is the assassin that was out here. Um, you know, so I, I think that the Channing Tatum one was the one that landed the most to me. I will say, because you brought up... Um, Sandra Bullock's uh, character is the the handler here. Um, it, it leads me to 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 make a, a criticism of the film that I think would be remiss if I didn't bring it up before we got to the ending, which is that this is a film that feels very uncomfortable at times, letting the seriousness and tension of the moment carry the moment. Like, I, this is a comedy, right? Like, ultimately, this is an action comedy. That's what the film's trying to be. There are, of course, going to be comedic moments here. But there are a lot of moments in which we have built up tension, in which, you know, these, the, you know, characters are fighting with each other or there are these moving set pieces and we're very invested in what's happening in that moment. And then the film does the Marvel thing. 
And I, I we call it the Marvel thing. I, I think that that's sometimes uh, unfortunate because uh, it puts all of the blame on them as if they're not taking advantage of a trend that's been there for a while and they've just been the most popular people to do it. But this idea of the, like, well, that just happened kind of joke or the, like, oh, well, he lets quibble about this really small detail in this comedic back and forth during a time in which we should be focused on this much larger, much more important thing. Isn't it so funny how we're unable to prioritize the things that really matter in a life or death situation because we have to get in an argument about this small thing or whatever? Um, and I, I think, to me, it's to this film's detriment at times. Um, the, the big one that I think of more than any of them is the fight with uh, Tangerine and Ladybug, where they're going back and forth, and we have this really great fight scene that's going on. And we haven't had as many great fight scenes to that point. It's been a lot of like smaller sequences here and there. And we got this great fight going on, and then the woman who handles the uh, concession tray comes back in, and everything just pauses. And we spend like a full minute on a sequence in which they have to pretend like they aren't they aren't in the middle of beating each other up, in which she doesn't seem to acknowledge any of the blood on either of them, uh, in which uh, we get Ladybug buying this expensive bottle of water that he then gets Tangerine to pay for. And it's like, really? Is that what this moment needed? Like, we couldn't just have the fight scene. We couldn't have these characters conflicting with each other and have that be enough like we didn't need to be reminded that it was a comedy film here we know that the jokes are coming you've got more of them on the way like we could have this moment here and it would make those comedy moments stronger rather than feeling like like the film was almost uncomfortable sitting in that for a moment um the ending is great because they do go all out with that and we do put well, there are comedy elements in there. It's mostly uh, served to fill the larger moment that it's in rather than trying to pull you out of it. But I think I would be remiss to not point out how many times this film does kind of pull you out of the moment that it is created because it thinks it's got a real funny joke for you. And I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a better version of this film in which it's more willing to put a couple of those asides to the side and let us focus on the things that they built. So see, I'm going to disagree with you for, with you on this point. But first, when you said Sandra Bullock and started to go like, go in a direction, I really thought you were going to say, and that of course means bullet train is in the miscongeniality universe because I mean, it is obviously (laughs) I didn't think that needed to be said, Walter, but if you want to specify, (laughs) yes, it is absolutely in the miscongeniality cinematic universe, as is tradition. Where is William Shatner, damn it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I'm I'm actually, I'm going to disagree with you on this point of not needing the, you know, not needing the jokes to interject at this point. Do I agree that some of the jokes miss the mark? Absolutely. But that scene between Ladybug and Tangerine stopping because the concession girl comes in normally what would happen in a in an action sequence if that happens is the concession girl comes in they all stop and she just immediately keeps walking through the funny part about it and the way it's a little bit different is the fact like it's very obvious you two are getting into a fight 
I'm just gonna sit here for a few minutes and like reload my cart and let and just like just sit here and wait. And I actually thought if I hadn't seen it in the trailer, if they didn't include that part in the trailer, that maybe it would have been a she was there for so long, they both like kind of didn't have the the desire to fight anymore. And then they're like, we'll finish this some other time. Like they could have done something like that. But then instead you get the funny moment of him getting, you know, Tangerine to pay for the water and then hitting him in the head with a bottle. Like, I genuinely think that's funny. I genuinely think that's a good scene. And I think the reason that they break up so many of these high tension moments is because the ending, they know they're not going to. And part of it, part of watching that ending sequence you've been so ingrained that the serious nature of the movie gets cut with a joke at points that you're waiting for the joke you're waiting for the okay well funny shit is gonna happen here and instead you're building up this tension waiting for a joke and instead it's just building the tension of the movie itself until you get to the final moment where white death dies or until the the train crashes or until all these things that actually are very serious um impactful moments and because you've been holding this tension of waiting to laugh you aren't you're allowed you just keep letting that tension build and then these big serious moments happen you know kimura comes in and he helps his father beat white death because ultimately you know as Vin Diesel would say, you know, family is everything. And their struggle, Kimura and the Elder, their struggle is about, like, family obligations. And, and you fail, you know, you, ultimately, you know what, you didn't really fail as a father. I failed you as your father and didn't do what I needed to do to protect you and to, you know, keep you out of this life, which he falls into. But then he makes it right by making sure that the grandson is protected and is taken care of. And that, you know, despite the fact that his fight with the White Death is his fight, he allows his son to be part of it. He doesn't kick his son off the train earlier on, as might happen in some movies, um, you know, to face it by himself. He allows his son to be part of this because he is part of it no matter what. Um, so I, I don't know if I don't know if I agree that I I don't know if it'd be a better movie if they took out all of those you know, serious joke moments. Could they have taken out some? Sure, I'll absolutely give you that. But there are some of them that are really good and that build up to this final sequence of them finally getting to the last station. And there is the, like, the the ridiculous Yakuza, you know, Japanese-style, Kung Fu-style. The big baddie is there, and he's got, like, 200 henchmen there all ready to fight. Chase, do you think that this ending did a good job of having that multi-scene, multiple location battle and then ultimately coming up with a satisfying death for the White Death? Yeah, I mean, I would say the ending was the best sequence of the film. Um, I, I think it, like, it starts with the thing that I kind of criticized, which is the... Um, the two henchmen spending a lot of time arguing about whether they should open the briefcase or not that we know is booby trapped. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like I get it. They're joking about the booby trap, but it's, it's good. But after that, once the explosion happens, once the scene actually gets started, um, everything goes into high gear. 
Uh, we get some really good moments um, explaining all of these connecting pieces, the final threads that are needed for us to be invested in the moment. Um, we get the uh, sword fighting with the, the father and the elder. We get the, uh, the train guy being put up to try to drive the bullet train, despite all of the instructions being in Japanese. Um, and then, of course, in, and this is how you do a joke in a scene like this, right? Is like Ladybug going to find the manual for the train to figure out how to get the emergency brake going and like getting super excited when he found it and then having the wind from the uh, hole that has now been made in the train uh, completely suck the book out before he's able to read it. Like that's how you do a moment like that. Um, that's really funny. I really love that moment. Um, but you get a lot of like different styles of uh, fighting here. You have the more traditional like sword combat. You get a couple gun moments, but you also get a lot of, uh, especially like in the cabin, um, like where they're um, uh, or where the where they're trying to to drive the train. You get a lot of like impro uh, improvisational fighting, right? The the different like throwing these different bits around uh, the the room in order to try to. Uh, delay and distract and um, you know really uh, give themselves enough time to do what they need to do up there um, it's really well done the crashing through the barrier and then crashing into the other bullet train and then having the train parade through town brilliant really well done really exciting I actually gasped when they're like going through town, like, oh shit, how many buildings are they about to destroy here? Because this seems bad. Um, but it was fun. It was good. It was well executed and it lived up to the idea that this was a climactic showdown. Um, ultimately, uh, there's a, uh, you know, the, the most important thing at the end is that um, it all comes back to this idea of fate, right? At the end of the fight, the White Death has the, you know, has Ladybug in his sights, but his gun is out of bullets, so he grabs the booby-trapped one, and White Death kills himself. Um, he was so desperate for his revenge that he missed the obvious flaw in his plan, um, ladybug gets what saved. if somebody somebody calls out sick yeah i mean there's so there's so much um here that works out really well um and then of course the the thematic brilliance of having uh uh prince who of course you know does the like oh but i'm here too and i'm still mad so i'm and then of course uh getting hit by the tangerine truck which we later found out is driven by lemon paying off those code names um fucking so good it's really it's a great sequence. so good it's a it's a very fun sequence very well executed um it's what you want from a bullet train film right a, a train that like it makes use of the tension of a train that is going off the rails in which the high speed and the like damage done to it structurally create its own issues to navigate uh, in which you can use these environmental pieces and, and it creates some fun moments. I I wish we had more scenes that were willing to be, not this, because obviously the climactic fight's always going to be different, but maybe a little bit more willing to engage in these kinds of, of combat moments rather than 
very kind of um, limited ones we get earlier in the film. But look, the, what are people going to remember about a film? They're going to remember how it opens and they're going to remember how it closes. And this is how you make a closing that people are going to remember. It's a great sequence. It's really well done. I think part of the, the avoidance of sort of as much combat as they can throughout the, the, you know, the beginning parts of the movie is that, in, a, in essence, Ladybug is trying to avoid violence. We, we made it, I don't know if it was while we were recording or not, but, you know, grab the gun. Hey, make sure you take the gun. And Ladybug being so like, I don't, I don't, I don't, no, no, no violence. Guns only lead to violence. The, you know, very California style, live and let live. Like, eh, not, you know, I'm going to take things as they come, so on and so forth. And then all of the fighting that Ladybug does up until this final sequence is him doing it very, he's like forced to. Like, I, I, listen, I don't want to fight you. All of it is like very defensive and just very like, whoa, guy, what are you, like, hey, let's just talk it out. Hey, what's going on? Like, hey, come on, I didn't kill him. Like, all of this. And then finally we get to this ending sequence where, you know, the Elder has convinced Ladybug, has convinced Kimura, and has convinced Lemon, like, listen, like, there's only four of us. And, like, there's probably, like, 400 henchmen. And then one of the greatest, you know, Yakuza fighting bosses of all time. That, once again, I am going to reiterate, Michael Shannon is playing a Russian samurai Yakuza boss, which is the fucking coolest thing on the planet. And, like, convinces him, like, listen, like, you may be against fighting, you may be against guns, you may be against all of that, but, like, we're all gonna die unless we work together. Like, we have to work together. We all have a role to play here. Let's just fucking do it let let's let's do this and you know improve weapon fight you know improvise weapon fighting for lemon and ladybug while they're in the you know the the engine room the the pilot station of, of the bullet train you got kamara that's got a fucking stick with a knife like duct tape to the end of it like it it, it shows just how wildly and massively outnumbered outgunned these four men are and they somehow fucking do it. And is it fate or is it luck? Is it good luck or is it bad luck? Is it fate saying like, yes, this is the day that white death is going to die. This is the day that, you know, Ladybug realizes, you know, whatever lesson he's supposed to realize. Or the Elder Kimura are supposed to finally, you know, make amends and actually be a real family. Or is this the day that Lemon realizes, you know, he can exist on his own and that you know, his brother was a Thomas. His brother wasn't, I forget, I forget. I think he said he was a Gordon or something earlier. No, he's a Thomas. He's, he's pure of heart and a good person. Um, it's so well done. It's a, it's good action sequence that, that ties everything you want from an action movie. It's got, you know, the wanton, you know, scenery destruction of, Fast and the Furious or any kind of disaster movie or anything like that. It's got, you know, kung fu, hand-to-hand, samurai-style Eastern action. It has gun violence. Again, it has improvised weaponry of, like, here, I'm going to throw a literal book at you. Like, all of this. And it just ties up a an ensemble story that makes sense. It's a well-written plot. Everything ties itself together, whether they have to hit you in the head with a hammer for you to get all the details or not. And it's satisfying because I went the next day I saw my dad, right? And I gave him the same pitch that, you, that I gave to you. 
Michael Shannon, Russian samurai Yakuza boss. He's like, oh, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. And there's one thing. My dad hates Empire Strikes Back. He hates movies where the bad guys win. And I, if you could say one thing about this movie, it's that in the end, the good guys fucking win. And they do it spectacularly, and they do it with a little bit of luck, but they fucking win. And this is a movie you come out of feeling really good about who wins. There's no, there's no murkiness about it. Even the prince getting hit by a fucking truck. They could have totally left the prince as like, oh, what happened to the prince? And there could have been a little, you know, cut scene in between the credits where like she climbs out of the rubble and boom, now you can do bullet train too. But they don't do that. They tie everything up. They leave a satisfying conclusion. And the good guys fucking win. Chase, as we end all of our podcasts, what were your final thoughts? What does this score? Do you suggest the movie or not? Yeah, you know, I liked it. I liked it, I think, uh, clearly a little bit less than you did. I thought it was a very enjoyable film. Um, I think that the flaws that are there are... Uh, unfortunate. I, I do wish that it wasn't so hand-holding in certain elements. I, I wish that it was willing to let a couple moments that I think had a chance to be really powerful stand as they were rather than kind of undermining them. And, and there were some moments where I think we went back to flashbacks and maybe relied on them a little bit too often um, in certain places. But the goal of a movie called Bullet Train is to have uh, some fun action shenanigans on a bullet train that make use of all of the elements there. And by the end of the film, that goal was accomplished. And there were plenty of moments up until that point that I did thoroughly enjoy. Is it something that I would say people need to like go rush out and see? No, not particularly. I, I think it's a, a good action film. Uh, I don't think it's anything that's going to set the world on fire. Uh, but for me, it's a solid 7 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I, I, as I've said multiple times, I love this movie. Um, I think it, it's been, you know, the fa my favorite movie that we've watched since, um, you know, that, that since we've started this outside of everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I think I'm definitely blinded to some of the problems that Chase brought up uh, just because I had so much fun with it. I enjoyed it so much. I, I, you know, it was a Tuesday afternoon and there was this old couple behind, behind me, you know, a row or two. And, you know, the guy, the, the, the man, like, cracking up, you know, at some of the jokes made me crack up even more. It's, it's an enjoyable comedic action movie. If you like Tarantino, but you don't want all the blood and guts and the abuse against women. If you like the John Wick movies. If you like Deadpool. This, this is actually, that's a, you know, I brought up the, the director, um, uh, David Leach, earlier. It, it's a mix of Deadpool and John Wick. And it's ultimately a really enjoyable experience. Um, it's a nine and a half out of 10 personally for me on my scale. Um, but you know what? If you guys really, really, you go see it and you really enjoy the film and you want to tell Chase how wrong he is to only give this a seven, Chase, where can the good folks at home find you and yell at you? Hey man, I gave it better than Rotten Tomatoes did, which was a 53%. So I think I'm being, I, I'm, I'm still a, a fan comparatively. But hey, you want to come at me? Find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. 
Of course, we'd love if you could subscribe here every two weeks. Uh, we do some uh, a new film here on Final Cut. And on the weeks that we're not doing this, uh, we've got our Steam Cleaners podcast in which we talk about some games that we've been playing recently. Uh, or for my next episode, a game that I played close enough to recently because I'm still playing Final uh, Fire Emblem Three Hopes because that game has gotten fucking wild, man. Uh, but yeah, if you want to hear all of that, uh, definitely follow me on all those places. I'm very excited to to find out what you have played previously since you're still playing Fire Emblem. Uh, as for me, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. You know, yell at me, tell me that I'm wrong. Honestly, you know, I'm looking at the IMDB score here and it was a 7.5 out of 10. So Chase, I guess you are closer to that than, you know, I am and you're closer to the Rotten Tomato score than I am. So, hey, maybe I'm just I'm just dumb and really like funny action movies. Never apologize for liking a thing, my friend. I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as you did. That is that is very true. But with that being said, I'm not going to tease you guys. I'm going to make sure this happens. I just finished watching Players yesterday. <laughs> and Chase and I are going to talk about it on the next episode. We we might have a guest. We'll see. But beyond that, Chase, after Players, uh-huh. we are only two episodes away from hitting October. Which means we are only two episodes away from approximately hitting the year mark on Final Cut's return. I think you and I, we're going to need to figure out something special for that. Let's do it. So, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about players. And then if you guys have any ideas of maybe something special we should do for that one year anniversary, let us know. And until next time, goodbye internet.